0: So I don't, I've been, you know, leading stuff in the church for a long time for, before I came here and a lot of men's ministry stuff. And so many times I've gotten up to promote the men's, like every time I get up and I say, guys, you want to be here? We're going we're gonna to talk about monster trucks, power tools, pro wrestling, you know, stuff that chicks don't dig. So Friday night, we actually had the first event men's thing, where that wasn't just a farce. Because at the garage out there at the shop, at the reserve, where 30 of us had the most excellent barbecue uh, of all time, there were probably 15 dead animals on the wall. Probably more. There were power tools, tools all the way around. It was like a giant garage door door the smell of gasoline and barbecue, a <laughs> bunch of stinky guys, it was awesome. So if you, and then the content that the guys that led that put together to just encourage us um, and, and bring us together as men in this town, uh, incredible. And people were there, all l- different kinds of levels of faith, wherever they were, but just want to um, encourage you guys, if you if you can. Next one, next, into this month, or next month, please be there. It's going to be great. So look, look forward to that. Put it in your calendar when it shows up. Good times. Ladies, I don't know what y'all do. Um, I don't know if you want to meet out there. I don't want to be offended. You guys are tough girls, I know. So I'm not going to say anything offensive about what you might want to do or talk about. Uh, we're in a series called Speaking of God in the Psalms. And the reason it is important to look at this is that in the book of Psalms, you see uh, you see God and you see man and you see the struggle of man to try to relate to God in these songs. These lyrics are written about that struggle and the joy and that relationship. And in that, we see things that are not true about God being said. We see things that are true about God being said, the hard things and great things and teaching us about how to walk with Him. And so when we look at, what these lyrics say, it teaches us, from what these, the, the spoken words of these, these men who wrote this, it, it teaches us about who God is, it helps us understand him, and it's critical that we understand who God is. We cannot be mistaken or mix him up with other gods or other truths or other religions or things we've heard or thought. We need to find out exactly who he is and dig deeply into that, and that's what this series is about. We're seeing what those great people spoke about God and learning from that. So that's where we're at. Uh, This is the fourth, I think, in that series. I think we're going to do about 10 of these. We're going to be in Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Somebody is upset. (laughs) There are 16 kids in the nursery, back or little kids. So we're going to have to do something about that. Um add another class, I think. So it's exciting. Um, What happens in Psalm 34 is that reality collides with faith. This is a Psalm that David wrote. And David was this man of God that you've probably heard that whether you have church background or not, uh, Bible background. And I wonder if now or in your life, or maybe something you're even expecting. It is, 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 it, is it like this for you? Because it is for me. It's like sometimes a big dually F-350 diesel 4x4 truck that is hauling a big bunch of power equipment smashes into the reliable little 92 Honda Civic of my faith. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or you know, there's the kind of the other end of it where you're in your little civic, it's two wheel or two wheel drive, which is really like one wheel drive, and you are sliding down the road. And you've gotten out of control. Something's happened, and you off in the faith ditch, and someone has to come pull you out, and your tail lights broken, and you know, we're our our faith is is a fragile thing. Uh, I was reading the news the other day. And came across this story that broke my heart, and it made me it was like a truck hitting my little faith. It was a, had the a, a picture on the front of the this uh, story was this couple, a young couple uh, you couldn't tell it from the picture They're in their 30, low thirties, young thirties, and they're both in hospital beds, they're both bald, and with their hospital gowns on and they're holding hands across the between the beds, and they're both dying of cancer. And they have children. And I'm reading this story. I'm like, God, how can this be? How can this be? You know, it's like that truck hits my face. And I'm like, how do I how do I deal with this? And that that's something that helps me say, okay, well, my problems aren't as big as that. But there are still real things that are going on with me and things I know in your lives and our lives. And the, our families and friends that are serious things or that causes us to question God and, and wonder about our faith. And so part of what's happening in this situation with David is that his his faith has been struck. Like, you know, the this is at the beginning of his his uh sort of rise, I guess. He he's so he he kills this uh, giant, right? He kills this huge man by faith in front of all of these grown adult warriors. The little the young man goes out and kills, right? We're familiar with that story. He does that, and then he's in favor in the kingdom, and he's one of the people that's around the king. The king's name was Saul. But suddenly, after a a few years, Saul turns on David completely and suddenly loses his temper in anger and hate. He throws a, a spear at him, and his life's in danger. Everything gets turned upside down. Like David's the hero. He's the guy who pleased God, did good things, and now he's out, right? And so life got turned upside down. And the first thing he does is he goes into he hides in the fields and his, his friend, Jonathan, who's also his, Saul's actual son, comes out and says, you got to get out of here. Right? So David flees with just the clothes on his back. And the first place he goes is he goes back to the area that he's from. Remember, he was a shepherd out in the wilderness. He goes back there and in that area, there was a place uh, where priests gathered. They had something of a, of a temple out there. And and so he thought, I can go to those guys, they know who I am, and they will help me out there. And, and it says, this is in uh, one of the records of Samuel, and, and uh, David gets out there, and the priest is afraid, because the priest has heard, it sounds like that there's some kind of problem in the, uh, in the kingdom, right? Right? And so David says, Well, can I get some food at least? And so he gives him some food and he says, Do you have any weapons? And he gives him a weapon because he has nothing. And then uh, a spy from Saul, the king, shows up and David's like, Can't stay here. So he takes off. And the, okay, here's the place he goes. Now, David sometimes isn't that bright, honestly. He goes to this town called Gath. And anytime you go in a story to a town called Gath, right, that's bad, right? <laughs> you don't go to Gath. You go to a happy place, some kind with a nice name. But he goes to Gath. Well, Gath is the hometown of none other than the big guy that he killed, right? It was a bad decision to go there. But he's thinking maybe somehow there's, you know, he can work his way in. Well, uh, he realizes at some point when he's in that circle of people that this is a dangerous place. And he probably shouldn't have come there. And he's going, he was going to go to the king there. That Or not king, it's a, now kind of a, a local ruler, regional ruler. But... Uh, they, they they're like, wait a minute, what is this guy doing here? And so he, he decides to feign that he's crazy. And you can read it in there. He like lets, you know, drool all over his beard. And he like writes stuff on the gates of the town. And, and also they, they're like, well, he's nuts. So let's not bother with him. And so he escapes Saul. He escapes from the spy, and, you know, at this, this temple area. And then he gets out to this place. And he ends up in a cave, okay? So, if you really put yourself in that place, you go from like chosen, you know, happy, everything's great, like in the king, ca- all the things you need, and now you're in a cave. All right, this is, and he's going to be there, he's going to be wandering for 10 years. So, I just want to set up the fact that things are not going well for him. And some of it he couldn't help, and some of it is bad choices on his part. So, that's where we are him, I am sure, saying, how, how could this be? How can this happen? How could I be, everything be going so well and then suddenly be so turned upside down in my life? Perhaps some of you have asked that, that same question. Let me, let me read with you. We're just gonna look at some of the highlights of Psalm 34. Uh, 1 through 3, 7 and 8, and 17 through 22. So here's what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast to the Lord. In the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. So here's the main thing. this is what I want to ask you to ask yourself, and I'm asking myself as well: what do I do when reality crashes into my faith? What do I do when reality crashes into my faith? And if you were to ask yourself in your quiet time this week, when you're alone, you'd take some time, as we all should, to get along with God somewhere at some time. Ask that question, What do I do? What's my step? If I'm in it, if I know it's coming? If there's someone else that I can walk beside in that, how, what is that, what does it look like? What do I do when reality crashes into my faith? And Psalm 34 is what David does. So we're going to learn from that. And let me say this, if you are somebody who has not crossed that line of faith and you don't follow Jesus yet, you're thinking about it, then I, I would think you are wanting to ask this question or to be honest with yourself. You have to deal with this. What am I going to do? Because I'm already struggling with faith. What am I going to do when it goes wrong? So See what David did. See how he walked through this himself. Four points. Yes, I am going to do four points today. Um, Eric made fun of me when he spoke last week, and uh, that's okay. Uh, One is this, uh, praise over protest. Praise over protest. A promise of hope. The reality of pain and peace in finding refuge in God. So there's four Ps there, praise, promise, pain, and peace. So we're gonna walk through those as we look at the passage. So praise over protest. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you were to read the Psalms, like you sat down and just read a few of them, just randomly, then several of those that you read, you would see the Psalmist saying, God, I cannot believe what you're doing to me. Now, I think it's pretty cool that in the Bible, it has people complaining to God and accusing him. Because, I don't know about you, but I've I've been in that place. Why is this happening? I don't understand. What are you doing? And it's David this time that is going through a hard, a very difficult time, but he doesn't do that. He, He chooses to praise over protest. So let's read, I just want to repeat those first three lines, three verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me together, with me, and let us exalt his name together. Now, I just want to put the brakes on for a sec and say, he says, he says, uh, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be in my mouth. Now, I grew up. For the most part in the church. So the word praise or the idea of praising God just, just kind of comes naturally to me. I, I sort of know what that means. But if you zoom out and sort of look down at praise and what is that, it can mean a whole lot of things. What does it mean? If What does it mean that th- this praise is on or within his mouth? Well, I think it actually is something that we intrinsically understand, but we don't actually, uh, some of us, and I'm, I'm including this, don't think of in in that intrinsically natural way when we're in church or when we're thinking of praising God. So uh, uh, some of you won't believe this, but Claire and I were at at the steep having uh, lunch lunch together. You'd believe that part, probably. And we're sitting there and there's two TVs in my view, right? One's a, a basketball game and one is some... Crazy, insane ski video stuff. Of course I had my attention completely on Claire (laughs) at all times. But when she looked away, I glimpsed at the screen. And so I'm watching these guys play basketball and some of the things that these they were doing, I was like, that is incredible. Like it said out loud, I'm like, wow. That's awesome. And then she goes, then Claire actually was watching the other one, and she goes, Oh, that's Aaron Blanc over there in some show about him. And he's like doing this stuff. I don't even know what it's called, you know, in the air. And we um, both of us are like, Wow. Okay. That natural thing we do when we see or understand something that is really incredible, that's praise. It's, it's just that simple. It's not forced words or, you know, something. It's just when we recognize, we sometimes we just get in that moment where we go, I know, I got this glimpse of God. We go, wow. That, that's, that's praise. It's not a whole bunch of specific words or certain things. It's just the nucleus, the basic thing of praise is just to verbally say, like we do, about great things that people do or that we see, wow. I remember, uh, a couple years ago, I was I went to see Big Air on Elk. Um, probably some of you have been out there, and Thomas Taka, you know, he's won that a couple times in, as a high school student, okay? And I remember seeing him fly over that jump and just go, Whoa. and the whole crowd with me was like, wow, you know, just blown away. You know, there's that thing that we see, and and, you know, for me, when I see beautiful art, I hear an incredible song. I see that what God's created. I see uber athletes do incredible things. When I see simple things done that are good and holy and right, and and bring justice to the world. That to me, not only is it do I say wow, but that points me to God. You know, it's this creation, these things that God has made that we can understand and appreciate, and we naturally say wow. And and as we are seeking God and and, and following after Him, we'll attribute those things, those talents, that stuff to God. That that's where that praise comes in. But uh, praising God takes faith because I can see somebody do something, but I don't actually see the hand of God doing something crazy. You know, I, So there is faith in this t- statement to say, I'm going to praise. And so when we praise God, there is faith in that. And, and David is acknowledging that. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say it out loud. That's what it means. I'm going to have his praise in my mouth. It means I'm going to say it out loud. And then he says, uh, at the end, he says, and let us exalt his name together. Now, whether you're a singer or not, whether you sang any of the words, what was happening here this morning is together, we were doing this very thing, talking about who he is and what's great about him together. And I appreciate the leadership of our team that does lead us in that. So, praise above protest is what David does first. I think it's an unusual thing that he chose to praise God instead of protest in the midst of this terrible series of events. Okay, promise. A promise of security. At verse 7, he says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. When David does this, he's, he's using a war image that we don't have uh, real access to in our minds. We don't have a lot of war going on around us where we're exposed to dangers all around. But we can picture that situation. And sometimes we feel like that in life, that wherever we are, we are alone. And any, any movement we make outside of the closest pl- ring of safety is going to include danger or pain. Or suffering, There's all around is something not good is going to happen. And so what, what he says is that God encamps around and protects. He keeps us safe in that. And, and they can picture this, a, a wall of guards around keeping safety. Right? I think maybe for us it might be more like when something really hard has happened to us, a good friend coming along and walking with us is something we understand a little more. Someone that's empathetic and cares and carries us through a a difficult time. That, to me, is a little more relevant to to my world, my current world, in an applicational sort of way, that when every direction I could take is painful or dangerous, and someone comes along and says, I understand, I've been there, I'm walking with you. It's a a similar kind of idea. And and did you notice it says, uh, it says, He encamps around those who fear him. And I always, when we run into the word fear, God, in the Bible, I just want to always bring up, when it's talking about fear, it doesn't mean to be in terror of. It doesn't mean like a scary movie. It doesn't mean I'm afraid of God. It means I respect who he is. I know my place before him. And yes, sometimes that is a a terrifying moment when we recognize the wrath and the greatness and the power and the true goodness of God. That can be a scary thing, but it's not a, a terror thing. And I want to make sure we're defining that correctly. This is this is a word that really means the deepest level of respect and honoring who that person is. That's what that. So when when we're in that place, we we have this idea of who God is, and in that he, part of that promise of a relationship with Him is that He surrounds us and protects us. Well. Uh, Look at verse 17. He says, When the righteous cry for help, these who are in relationship with God, the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. That's a pretty strong statement. He, okay, if you're reading this literally, he's going to deliver you and me, from if we're these people, which righteous means in relationship with God, he's going to deliver us from all of our troubles. How many have experienced being delivered from all of your troubles? Just One? you have been delivered a few times. I do know that. Um, But that's an extreme statement to be delivered from all of our troubles. I mean, so is David just happy to be alive? Is this ecstatic that he survived all this stuff? That's probably a, a part of that. But really, when you read this, if you were to put this on the back of your car and say, this is what it is to follow God. You'll be delivered from all of your troubles. People are going to go, that's a promise that can't be kept because I'm seeing in your life that it's not true. So what does that mean? How do we, re- how do we deal with that? You can't just, we can't just read it and go, oh yeah, whatever. We can't do that. You can't do that. It's not honest to ourselves or with God. So what is, what's he saying? Well, there is a promise that he's making In that, in those statements, that He'll surround us and deliver us. But if you look at verse eighteen, and this is our third point, there is a reality of pain that He acknowledges, and He puts them together. Look at us. Let's look at eighteen. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. There's that promise again. He keeps all his bones; not one of them is broken. So immediately after talking about the deliverance of God and then even mixing it in this passage and the protection, then he says, he talks about followers of God being brokenhearted, crushed in spirit. To me, that sounds pretty rough. Crushed in spirit, brokenhearted. Some of us know exactly what that feels like even right now. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That doesn't sound great. And then he makes the promise, be a deliver- you'll be delivered, like lifted out of this, and have no broken bones. Uh, which, which seems kind of a pretty extreme thing to say, because I think probably everybody in here has had a broken bone. So what does that mean? See, David seems to see absolutely no conflict between being in a place of real and unresolved suffering and at the same time knowing peace and deliverance. Okay, you with me on that? It it, it may not be the reality that we experience, but he seems to have no problem with the idea of being in a, a place of suffering and a misunderstanding and struggling with faith and on the other side being perfectly safe and being delivered. In the midst of our trouble, in the midst of the car wreck of our faith, if you will, that you may be experiencing or will, somehow there's a promise of peace and deliverance in that. So let's talk about that peace. This is the fourth point. Peace begins by taking refuge in God. Peace begins by taking refuge in God. Look at verse 8 and go back a couple of verses. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man who takes and woman who take refuge in him so one of the most important themes that you'll see if you were to read through psalms is this idea of taking refuge in god you know it'll say take refuge under the wings of the lord or behind or under beside this rock that is the lord take refuge and that's another thing for me like praise. I kind of get it. I've been a Christian for a long time. I I can see, okay, I I kind of I understand that that is a spiritual thing that's happening there's a, um, but I I think it's important for us to wrestle with what that means. And when you're thinking about what is it that I will do? What what do I do when that When reality crashes into my faith, what does it mean for me to take refuge in God? We have to ask ourselves that, we have to ask the Word, and we have to ask Him. What does it mean to take refuge in you? It's, It's not necessarily a physical place. There is a spiritual place of refuge with God. If he is real and all the things that we hear about him through the Bible are true, then there is this sense of refuge in which he covers us, which we have a spiritual protection within him. And as you grow in your faith, that will become more and more and more and more real as you mature, as you develop. So we understand the idea of refuge, I think, pretty well. There's not really ever a picnic that I think my family has gone on here in the summer it hasn't ended with, or right in the middle of the, of the hike or the picnic, a, a fierce sleet and rainstorm, uh, you know, coming down. On us. i probably, some of you experienced that. And so we're always thinking from the beginning, let's, we plan to take refuge. We bring like a tarp, we bring rain gear and all that stuff because we know it's going to fall on us. So we, we know, we look all the time when the weather's coming in, we're looking for a tree that we can take refuge under. You've probably all done that. You're hiding under the the, everything's falling. I was just getting a little bit of a drip on you. We know what it means to take refuge. Makes sense to us. Or how about this? I I wonder uh, if you can remember and I do remember this actually for some reason very well. When I was a child and I would get scared in my room of something, eventually I'd get scared enough to get out of my bed and go down the hall and into my parents' room and wake them up and say, I'm really scared. And they'd say, okay, well, you can stay here with us. And things were better. There's something magical about that with your parents. There are people that are caring for you when, you. when you're scared and things are hard and they're real and terrifying in your mind and your heart, for me, I could go to my parents and they would say, stay here with us, and that would leave. There was refuge that I took with my parents, and it changed every, the way I saw Everything. So the first step, I think, and, and you might find a different first step in this passage, but I, is to, to say, okay, I, I feel these hard things colliding. Um, I'm trying to understand how to work with this. I'm going to take refuge in God. I'm going to seek out that refuge place, that safe place. And see, I think it's from there that we uh, start to see uh, the bigger picture. When we're in the place of refuge in him, we start to see the bigger picture of what God is doing you know, when we're under the tree and hiding out and we can see, you know, way out beyond, around. We, eventually, the sun starts to peek through. We start to see that there is something bigger than what I'm experiencing in that one little place. It's from refuge that we start, and I think David has found refuge. He's finally found a safe place physically, but he's also found a safe place in the Lord, and so then he turns to praise, and he lets the, what he knows about God come out of his mouth. And then he gets people together with him and says, let's, because he's talking with people, he says, let's let's talk about God together. I want to I conclude by reading the last couple of verses with you, uh, 21 and 22. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Sometimes when I read David's words that sound like that, like affliction will slay the wicked and all those who hate the righteous and all those bad people, they're going to be condemned. I read that almost like David is celebrating that. In a sense, I don't know if you hear it that way, maybe you don't read it that way, but I do. And that really bothers me. Uh, it is not a celebration that people would be condemned. That is not a good thing. That is a terrible, terrible, terrible tragedy. It is the worst possible thing. It's the natural state of all people unless they've been redeemed. Okay? So when we read those things like that, it can never be permission granted to perfect Christians to look down on anybody else. Please, we cannot, cannot ever be that way. This is, um, those bones broken because sin is in the world? That's a tragedy. But because God loved all so much he sent Jesus, which David doesn't even know what he's talking about. In in verse twenty two, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. Those servants were once the the wicked, okay, and they can't forget that. We can't forget that. If you're a believer, we cannot forget that. That's where we start, okay. We're that's who we are, and we're we're always tied to that. But he valued both so much that he sent Jesus to redeem. So that's the value he places on the the people that are wicked. Do do you see what I'm saying and how important this is? We we can't get to that point where we say, oh yeah, that's those people, those other people. We can never go there. Let me ask the uh, guys, gals in the band, we're going to do one song. So we we close this. We're actually going to sing uh, Psalm 34. Um, And as they're singing and and leading us and you're learning the words to this song, I just want to encourage you be thinking, uh, what do I do when reality crashes into my faith?